You're listening to the National Football Foundation's Tom Lombardo Chapter Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? We want to welcome you into our monthly luncheon here at the National Football Foundation. Hopefully everyone is warm and cozy in here. I know winter has hit us pretty hard already, so it's great to see everybody as we push forward towards Thanksgiving. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, my name is Maurice Drummond, and I'm the uh, sports director at KMOV TV here in St. Louis. Glad you could make it. And I tell you what, uh, I am honored uh, to be sitting with uh, a bunch of guys who were not only the gladiators on the football field, but they were pillars in our community here in St. Louis. I'm going to get a chance to inter uh, introduce each and every one of these guys individually. But for now, how about a big hand for the Big Red, the St. Louis football Cardinals. Before we get going, uh, we always take a moment of silence each and every time before we start this event to uh, dedicate this program to Lieutenant Tom Lombardo. And he was a man who was a, a war hero, uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice uh, in the Korean War, uh, played football here in St. Louis, team captain on the 1944 Army team that, that won the national championship. And when we talk about his values and, and his character, uh, all those things, we always want this chapter to embody. So if we can just take this time to dedicate a moment of silence to Lieutenant Lombardo. Thank you very much, everybody. I uh, also want to take this time to, to thank everyone, each and every one of you, for, for being here and supporting the National Football Foundation. And uh, obviously, we don't have pro football here anymore. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the Big Red moved on to, to Arizona, the Rams out to, to L.A., but you know, we still support amateur football as, as well as, as the organization nationally. And when you're talking about supporting young men and rewarding achievement and scholarship on and off the football field. Uh, so we want to thank you for being here. Uh, we're also looking for members. Uh, we would love to have uh, memberships. And today we actually uh, are trying to get a target five new members today. Uh, yeah, it's $40 a year. Not a lot, but boy, what it does for the organization is, is monstrous. So we would love to have you uh, join if you're not a member. And we just want to thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce you to these gentlemen. And when you're talking about uh, football in St. Louis and the fun that we saw on the football field, it was, I tell you what, and I know we're going to hear some great stories. There were some great moments. There were some tough moments. But... Nonetheless, there were there were moments uh, that will always be uh, in the in the annals of, of sports history uh, here in St. Louis when you're talking about uh, the St. Louis Football Cardinals. So, without further ado, let's start on uh, to my right on the end. Uh, we're going on the offense, uh, the Mizzou Tiger, the running back Johnny Rowland. We'll stay on the offensive side of the football with the golden right arm. <laughs> Tim Bay Gelder, quarterback. <laughs> we go back to my left. We go on the offensive line. Center, Bob DeMarco. 
going defense with uh, the linebacker Eric Williams. Back on the offensive line here to my immediate left, Irv Goody. And to my immediate right, and, and I tell you what, the head coach, and if this, to me, now this is my opinion, but I think this man should be in the Hall of Fame yes. as the greatest offensive line coach in the history of the National Football League, Coach Jim Hannafin. As I was saying, you know, I was looking at, you know, how the Rams were performing and, and, and just going back and thinking about the connection that, that they had with the city. And I want to ask each and every one of you guys just about the connection. And, and a lot of people, obviously a lot of young people don't uh, remember the way they used to. But, and, and Coach, I'll start off with you. Um, tell us about St. Louis, the Cardinals, you know, how tough it was when, when the team did leave. But what was the connection that, that you felt that the city had with, with the football team? I, I know there weren't, you know, a lot of playoff appearances, but there, there was a connection, and I want you to tell me about that. No question about it. The, uh, when I first arrived here with Don Coriel back in 1973, it took a little while to get used to the area and to the people. And then at the conclusion of that first season, and we went like 4-9-1, on I think. What it was four nine one, but even with that, it was a poor record. There's something special that was taking place at that time. And when I would see in the locker room, I'd see a bunch of guys really getting together and and really getting involved with the game and with the community. And I myself had that same experience, getting getting with the community and being around people and. And thoroughly enjoying St. Louis and the state of Missouri. And it was a uh, scenario where you go, How, what in the hell do I see here? But it makes me feel this way. And then I kept on thinking about it. And California, obviously, California right now, God bless those people out there in Northern California and Southern California, the horrible fires. And uh, Devastating watching that stuff on TV yesterday. But thinking back again to St. Louis, I realized one day I went, you know what? There are no mountains here at all. Forget about that. The Ozarks? Jesus. I asked one day, we went with this other couple, my wife and the kids, we went down with this other family, and we camped out down in the lake of the Ozarks. And I asked my friend, who was the dean of junior college then, that my wife was teaching in. And that was, uh, I asked, I said, where, where are the Ozarks? Where are, he goes, where are they? He said, you're standing right in the middle of them. <laughs> I said, but there are no, these aren't even hills. <laughs> and I said, so that takes care of that issue. Then, you know, you're going the lakes and so on and so forth. And of course, I grew up a beach guy and uh, you know, Pacific Ocean. Right. All right. Glad somebody spoke up. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, uh, but I really realized this. The the I remember it's going. Wait a minute. There are no mountains. There are no there are no lake or rivers or oceans. We don't have that. So it has to be this. The people. The people is what makes St. Louis great. And each and every one of you guys 
seriously. That is exactly what it is. And why I continue to live here after I retire. I go, where the hell? I'm not going back to California. No. I'm staying right here. Right here. And we did that. My wife and I. God bless her. Anyway, that kind of tells this my story. And I just love the area. I love the people. And so on and so forth. And uh, I now live in a senior living center, which is quite something. Uh, the fact that I mean, we have people there that are 104, 105 years old, I'm guaranteeing you. And this one lady, 104 years old, she still is playing bridge, if you can imagine that. I mean, unbelievable. But anyway, I'm going to get the mic back here to Maurice. Here you go. Well, I, I love the feel. Um, we know Coach, when you talk about, you know, the, the feel of the community and, um, you know, how, how tough was it, guys, to be in a situation where you, you you probably wanted to deliver a championship, obviously for yourselves as a team, but, you know, how, how frustrating was it to, to maybe not being able to, to bring the big one home for St. Louis? You're asking that question? <laughs> when we first came to uh, St. Louis, well, when I first came to St. Louis, I worked for Falstaff Brewing Corporation, and they had promised... Uh, the Cardinals 18,000 seats. So we did a lot of moving around uh, Missouri and uh, Arkansas, Illinois, everywhere, trying to get people to come to, to the football games and stuff. So it was, it was a lot of fun because we were actually trying to get people involved and get them to the football games. Uh, believe me, a record of 4-9-1 and one and, and uh, three and eight or whatever it is, is it's not fun. You know, uh, especially when you get paid for doing something, you're supposed to be doing it the best that you can. Um, I guess Bob and I were, um, DeMarco and I were played together for, I guess, 10 years or whatever, nine years, eight years together. And, uh, <clears throat> and it was just, a, I, I know we played uh, the Green Bay Packers on a Monday night one night, and uh, they ended up, they, they beat us 34 to 28 or something like that, but we always like to the first play of the game We like to show you that show the other team that we were we came to play So we called it an M block which everybody was blocking a guy just directly directly in front of you And you're just coming off the ball and hitting them and, and hopefully uh, gain some yards in that. Uh, and uh, So against Green Bay, of course, they had Ray Nitsky at middle linebacker and uh, Jordan and a bunch of other guys that were I think they thought the same thing that we thought and at the first play of the game They were gonna knock the hell out of us. So uh, We came up the line of scrimmage and fired out came back to came back to the huddle and no kidding I was crying. I had tears in my eyes. The guy hit me so hard And that I'm looking over at the Marco. He's coughing and gagging little tears coming out of his eyes and I said Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He says, I don't know, but we've got 59 more minutes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, but playing against everybody, and it is the people. And that they, uh, of course, we didn't make the, uh, miss the money that much because we didn't make that much. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it, was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. Eric, your memories of St. Louis. Well, all my memories here in St. Louis is good, but uh, I grew up in Kansas City, and a uh, little uh, city boy from Kansas City went out to the University of Southern Cal, 
my career started here with the Cardinals. Uh, when I got here, it was Old Bush Stadium, and I think it was, what did it see, 50,000 coach? Yeah, and coming from SC, uh, well, we played in the Coliseum. I used to think the Coliseum was uh, uh, 100,000, but it seemed like that. And I know at the Rose Bowl, they did have 100,000. But like uh, Coach said, it was the fans. It was the people. Uh, we only had 50,000 in the stadium, but all 50,000 were for us. I guess uh, uh, one of the best memories, I guess we came down to the last game. My uh, rookie year, we had to play the Miami Dolphins, and it was some weather a little bit colder than this. And uh, Bush Stadium was iced over, and uh, it was 50,000 in there. And I don't know what they did to that acid turf. They tried to get it unthawed, but they had all the heaters and everything. But they put some chemicals on that field that day. I don't think they could do it today, but a few of us had quite a few, uh, I guess, carpet burns. But it was probably 10 degrees, and like I said, it was 50,000 people crazy for the football Cardinals. That's my memory. <laughs> I have a little different perspective. I came here in 61, and of course, I was a future draft choice for the Chicago Cardinals after the 59 season. I transferred schools, and uh, I played with Mike Rabel from Indiana, and he was playing for the Cardinals guard, so they, they flew me in here uh, my senior year in, in college because they drafted me, and so I guess I played against the Cleveland Browns, and uh, I don't know if they lost or they won, but after the game, I went to see Mike, and Mike says, don't sign this place, it's crazy. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? Well, they had Viola, Bidwell, and they had Walter Wolfner. And he said, you know, this whole thing is messed up. This is before the Bidwells even knew they were adopted uh, brothers and so forth. And Walter, I was sitting up in the press box. <laughs> And Walter, and every time they make it, you know, think about that one, what do you think about that one? And so, you know, I, I listened to it, and then down below, they, they said, well, you know, we want to, we want to sign you, and uh, they put out uh, 10 $100 bills with a $1,000 bonus. And they said, you want to sign? I said, well, I don't know. I guess I would. It was $10,000 contract and a $1,000 bonus. <laughs> Like I said, we used to go and cash our checks at Walgreens, you know. And it's, it's not like today. But I, I remember games where, you know, professional football, other than when I had the St. Louis Knights here, that, you know, people didn't really know, know about professional football. And that old Bush Stadium on, uh, on Grand, I remember days, the games that there was 13,000 people there. You know, it was, it was different. They, you had to get acclimated. The people had to get acclimated to what was going on. And the fact that when Irv and I played, I guess, uh, well, I got called in the Army middle of the season in the 61, and then in 62, I think we had a 4-9-1, but we started building the offensive line. And next year in 63, we were 9-5. and five. And then in 64, I mean, we lost a game, we tied a game, the, the Giants, there was a mud game, and that's how we lost the championship there. But... In the 60s, we had teams that should have won at least two championships, and our big problem was Charlie got hurt, and we didn't have a backup. You know, that was the whole problem. But, uh, you know, the experience here was great. Uh, 
I had a roommate because <laughs> I kept talking. I'm from New Jersey originally, and I said, well, I want to get back with the Giants and so forth. And he said, he said, Bob, just get yourself a cemetery plot because you're going to be here for the rest of your life. <laughs> As it worked out, that's true. But, you know, the fans are great, great, and uh, especially the old uh, grand, I don't know if you remember the uh, bleachers they had in the outfield. Those are the best seats at Bush Stadium. They really were. And it was the kind of thing where, you know, you're right there, and when it's cold, the guys, they come up and say, hey, you want some brandy and so forth. <laughs> it was really a good experience. Johnny and Tim, uh, memories of St. Louis. Do memories of St. Louis. Well, in my case, NFL stood for not for long. <laughs> uh, I uh, pro football seems so long ago now, and for me it was. <laughs> But for some reason, just the other day, I had an occasion to think of Joan Namath. And <laughs> I got picked up by the Jets. And the second day I was there, Namath says, Tim, where are you staying? I said, well, I stayed with Coach Ship last night. He goes, well, you're more than welcome to stay with me. Now, you've got to remember, Joe's out for the year with a separated shoulder. But he's the biggest thing in the country, pro football-wise. Anyhow, long story short, he turned out to be the nicest fella you ever want to meet. I was married at the time, and she came to visit. And when I got home from practice, my wife and Joe were sitting on the couch shooting a breeze. And I say, Joe, where, uh, where should she and I go get something to eat tonight? He said, oh, you got to go to so-and-so at First and Lexington or something, I said. And I said, great. He said, in fact, it's close enough you can even walk. And then he starts hemming and hawing and hemming, and I'm going. He says, do you think maybe it'd be okay if I came too? He's asking me permission, and he's the biggest thing in the guy. So absolutely. He said, great, I'll get a date. Just, I swear, just like on TV. Susie, this is Joe. You want to meet us at so-and-so's at First and Lexington at 7.30? Well, I know I haven't talked to you for six months. You want to meet us? <laughs> she was gorgeous. Anyhow, uh, I know how I got off in that tangent. Uh, am I supposed to tell a joke now? No, no, no. Not yet. St. Louis, tell me about St. Louis. I got, oh, we're not St. Louis. Okay. Biggest compliment I ever had in my life. When I did the Channel 4 thing on occasion, I'd go over prior to a Cardinal game and I'd throw batting practice because I played baseball in college. And the biggest compliment I ever had, one day they, the Cardinals hired four local coaches to throw batting practice every home game. <laughs> and so one of the times I went over and threw batting practice, I say to one of the coaches, who was a catcher by trade, I said, 
God, I got all this energy. I, I said, will you come down and catch me in the bullpen? And by the, back then, the bullpen was right behind first base over by the stands instead of out behind right field as it is now. <clears throat> Anyhow, like I say, I have all this pent-up energy, and I'm just cranking it. Jack Buck's the one who told me this story. He said, because by now the Cardinals are finished and the Pirates are going through batting practice. And their first baseman, Richie Hebner, says to Jack Buck, who was standing just shooting the breeze with the, uh, the Pirates, he said, uh, who's your new pitcher? Meaning me down there. That was the biggest compliment I ever got by Lucian. Who's your new pitcher? Okay, I'll shut up now. I'm saving it for jokes. Well, I see. Uh, I guess I got the Missouri. I get, my story is twofold. St. Louis Cardinals, obviously, but then I was down at the University of Missouri for uh, uh, a little bit of an extended stay. I should have been in the 61 class, but I was, which would have graduated in 65, but I was had a little sabbatical there for one year. And uh, so I ended up seeing an extra year at the University of Missouri, graduating in 66. But uh, so I got Missouri. University, and I got St. Louis, obviously, the Cardinals. So, to me, coming from South Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas, by the way, um, took a little bit of an adjustment. You know, we have sunshine and blue skies for, for uh, a lot of the year, but um, my uh, introduction into St. into Missouri was walking through. Uh, I'm trying to think of the field that was over there behind Rothwell Gym, and. No, well, it is now. It used to be Rollinsville, right? Rollinsville. Going across there, probably in about uh, November, maybe December. Um, I got my real rude awakening to the weather here in Saint in Missouri. Because if you didn't like it, just wait a minute, because it was going to change. But anytime you go across that field, and it was a wide open field, and of course the wind was going, I guess that was east or west. Um, whenever you get those little icicles coming out of your nose, <laughs> you know it is very cold, and it took a little while to adjust. But then the good news is that. Um, uh, I got drafted by the Cardinals, as I said, in 1960, uh, in the 65 draft, but in 1966. So, in, in, married at the time, wood kid, um, rookie of the year. So, St. Louis became kind of like uh, my little universe. Um, enjoyed it. People were great. Um, you know, Midwest. You know, people are just very humble and very appreciative of uh, your time on the fields. Um, we were pretty good uh, with uh, 
at my office in Lyon down there with uh, Bob DeMarco and Irv Goody. And, um, we were good in my time there. We were good every even year. So 1966, <laughs> we were pretty good. We were, what was it, 7-1 and 1, Bob? 7-1 one and 1, Charlie Johnson, he gets hurt in New York with the Giants, uh, uh, against the Giants. And uh, 67 wasn't too good, but 68, we were pretty good again. Uh, 69, we were awful, and of course 70 uh, was a good year because uh, that's when we went down to Dallas to uh, beat the Cowboys on Monday Night TV, and, and I had a pretty good game. <laughs> But after that, then uh, they felt that Charlie Winter wasn't the guy to, who was going to lead us and ended up with uh, Bob Holloway as our new head coach. And if I say awful, I mean, I really mean awful. <laughs> the way he used to parade himself around would be uh, uh, like God, G-O-D, but we nicknamed him Dog. <laughs> we just turned it around. But uh, my time uh, came to an end when uh, there was a coaching change in '73 uh, with the, the new regime of uh, Coriel and Coach Anderson. I I kid coach all the time. I said, "So you the guys were the one that got me fired." <laughs> <laughs> but I went to New York uh, in '73 uh, and uh, closed out my career uh, uh, with the Giants, and then came back to uh, St. Louis. Uh, got involved in the coaching business and uh, didn't think I was going to be involved in the coaching business at that time, but uh, I did. And, of course, 27 years later, uh, my last job was 2005 with the New Orleans Saints. But uh, coaches got, probably got us all beat in terms of uh, tenure in the, uh, as a coach in the NFL. And you're right, uh, he should be into the Hall of Fame. I didn't get a chance to play for him, but uh, got through training camp and um, ended up again going to New York. So my, my, my tenure goes with um, Missouri first, St. Louis, and then of course you got St. Louis, Missouri in terms of my time here in St. Louis. So I've, since 1961 to today is what? <laughs> it's a long time. And I still see some friends that I haven't seen a lot in, in a lot of years, probably uh, in the audience. And uh, But uh, St. Louis has been home for a lot of years and, uh, and really have enjoyed it. You know what I, a guy that, I know we've talked, you know, a few times over the years, guys. I'm not sure if we've talked enough about, about Don Coriel. And, and his brilliance uh, as an offensive mind. And, you know, he's been on the Hall of Fame ballot for the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's come up a little short. But, Coach, I, I want you to talk about Coriel, um, how his fingerprints uh, are still on the game today. And, and just maybe, you know, just what kind of guy was he? And, and again, and, and his brilliance as a, as a football mind and, and how it's influenced today. Well, I'll tell you what. He's a different cat, no question about that. He he brought something to the table that nobody else ever did. He was very extremely creative, and he would uh, the only guy that he he actually went over and watch would watch practice was the New Orleans Saints would would work out, and their training camp would be in in San Diego at one point in time. 
So Coriel would go over there and watch them participate. And they had a pretty good football team. But he really enjoyed watching the coaching take place. And he uh, formulated his more or less what how he was going to treat players and coaches and how, and how it was going to work out. And I was extremely fortunate. I actually played for him at Fort Worth, California, Fort Worth, Monterey, that area. And I was in the U.S. Army, and they uh, made sure to get me out of it. Well, I did go through training camp and, and, and training you know, maneuvers and all this and that that you had to know how to uh, partake. And also with the weapons, whether that be a rifle or a machine gun or what. And then finally, I was over to the stadium, and we really had a good football team. We had we had about eight guys on that team that would wind up playing in the NFL. And mind you now, this was 1956, 56 and in 56, we had, say, seven or eight guys. There was only 12 teams in the entire NFL. I mean, it was not like how it is, how it is today with 32 teams and traveling squad of, what, 46, and then you get your cap squad with another six guys. No, it was not that at all. It was like you had maybe 33 guys to each team, and that was it. And you better damn well make it on that. Now, you, we did have the Canadian League. To fall back on, and I remember going to Canada, playing up in Canada and uh, Toronto. I played in Toronto for a year or two, then Ottawa for another year or two. But it was an interesting development because we only get, could only have 13, 13 guys who were uh, former, formerly NFL players. Only 13 guys on each of that Canadian, Canadian teams were filled in with Canadian football players that had come down to the states and had played. Most of, them, most of them played at either Michigan or Michigan State, Wisconsin, close to the border, Canadian border, and so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, Coriel, Coriel, he was a special guy, and he would, he would actually, you know, there'd be things that you you look at him and you go, "Are you kidding me? We're going to do what?" And he go, "Just, just trust me, trust me. He says, it'll work. It will work." And I go, okay, here we go. And uh, I got if the damn thing didn't work, you know, you go, all right, you can miss me there. But he uh, he was so uh, special, and he and the players and those of you that got to know him, when I say he was special, he was really special. He was an unbelievable human being. He, he was so gracious to and so kind, and it, it just. It happened to work out like magic. I mean, he'd go, golly. Now, he met his wife-to-be at, at Fort Ord. She was working as a, kind of like a nurse, et cetera, there at the base at Fort Ord. But I remember one time, we were undefeated. In 56, we were undefeated. We're 7 and all. we go down to play Camp Pendleton. And Camp Pendleton, Marine Corps, those guys were awfully good. And they had beefed it all up. They went back to Quantico and robbed Quantico of all their really good football players and brought them back out to San Diego. And so we get down there, and we had a bus, a bus load, a big old yellow bus. I convinced Coriel that being in Southern California, that I could go ahead and drive down with a couple, three, three or other guys. And that was on a Thursday after practice. 
tried to start seeing. And now uh, the bus was leaving the next morning, Friday morning, for Fort Oregon, the base. Well, I, we get down there, and as soon as we got to the barracks, we just checked in, and we went, where's the closest restaurant bar? And we, we, we were wanting to get out there and see what was going on. Well, hell, we got, we got going. And uh, when we got back, the bus had already arrived. The players were getting ready to go to bed, and therefore we are too. So, uh, so the next evening, Friday, Friday night, the game was going to be Saturday afternoon. And Friday night, Fort or Camp Pendleton threw a party for us. And I, being one of the captains, I said, "Okay, listen in now. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to try to get us all wiped out." And I said, "So it's going to be all this free liquor." And that was a magic word for the Coryell: free liquor. <laughs> We're counting on that one. Let's go. So, so we get there, and I told him, I said, "Listen, this is really important for us to win this ball game and kick these guys' ass." Before. Nobody has more than two beers or two glasses of wine. It was basically that's what it was. It's either beer or wine. So, everybody stayed true to the cause because we had a nice time. And it just blew their minds. The Marine Corps guys said, "They're going to you guys don't act like army guys." You know, you, you, you're not even taking a drink here, whatever what's going on. And then we got to play a ball game tomorrow, you know, and all of a sudden. I'll tell you what, we scored on the very opening play of the game. About a 70 yard touchdown pass for a quarterback to the other, to the other tight end, not me. And um, so uh, we went from there, and they didn't even get a first down until somewhere in the third quarter. And that kid, we kicked their ass. Oh, it was beautiful. And I mean, they were crying murderly. They couldn't believe how good we were. And we had not been tested yet. We thought that game we would get tested, you know. And we weren't tested at all. So uh, Coriel, obviously, though, was he was so enamored with what we were doing and how we were doing it, and and he was so creative. We had the triple triple I formation. You know, we we had all the backs would be sitting right behind a quarterback and. Then on the snap of the ball, every got hell, hell was breaking loose, and they only got a new one running back and, and the quarterback. Where who's going to have the damn ball and all that? But I'll tell you what, and it was a fun experience. Now, unfortunately, they ended up with we wound up having a big time party. We handed it, we went right to the first place where we could go hang out, and that was the first bar that we after we passed got up past the campus of Fort Ord. We went to this bar, and that was it. So I went down there. I had a check from the general. I think a $300 check. He said, Jim, would you take this? Take it wherever you want, and this is for you guys for that party, whenever you're going to have the party. I said, we're going to have the party tomorrow night. <laughs> so, so that's what we did, and we invited the general and several other officers that they went by the joint. Well, anyway, we get there, and I hand that over to the owner, the $300. I said, this just give us whatever we want. The guys up at the bar, scotch, bourbon, whatever it be, have our beer or wine or whatever it was. So we, Coriel shows up, and he shows up with the cutest little girl who later became his wife. And I mean, she was a doll. And he made damn sure none of us got around and talked. <laughs> I never did meet her. I didn't meet her until you know, she was his wife. And he, he made damn sure none of us met her. And uh, so we wound up, all of a sudden, the owner turns the lights on, 
which was a signal that it's over with. And I, I, I said, wait a minute. The guys were going, what the hell's going on? We just started. And I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to go talk to him. He goes, well, you've already used up your $300. I said, you're trying to tell me that now we are on our own. I said, you don't want to do that to us. He goes, well, I'm doing it. I said, all right. So I told the guys, I said, you're on your own, guys. Do whatever the hell you want to do. The guys were reaching in over the bar, grabbing bottles, <laughs> bottles of scotch and bourbon. And I mean, it, it went hilarious. And we just, and then they tried to have us you know, escorted out of, uh, out of this building. Well, <coughs> that didn't work either. <laughs> because, yeah, I should say, oh, well, we're going to slam your ass to the ground and we're going to have, we're going to really take this off, but we're going to get more, more scotch, more bourbon, more vodka, whatever it be. And I mean, he he paid the price a lot. But then uh, Coriel was just mystified by how we would act and so he could. And of course, he had he, he talked to me one day. He goes, "Do you think I could uh, make it in uh, in television?" And I looked at him and I said, "Coach," I said, "Now you're a football coach. That's what you are, and you're you're going to be a great football coach, and you're going to attain." And I really do. I mean, there's one guy. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He really should. He he did a lot for not only St. Louis and the cardiac cards and all of this and that, but for the NFL. I mean, he left here, he went to San Diego with Chargers. And I went I went on that back there with him and so forth. And we had a great team there also. But everything boiled down. He he would go and he had Liz. And I said, Coach, I think you better stick with coaching. I don't think you're gonna be the guy that's to be able to handle it. You know, you're not a Murray Strutman. Any of those guys, articulate, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he was a very bright, bright individual, very intelligent. But he goes, Jesus Christ. He's a son of a bitch. And he'd be, what was that again, coach? What you say? Oh, forget, forget about it. Forget about it. But anyway, uh, I loved him dearly. I loved him dearly, and God bless him. It was a hard thing to see him waste away and then die and uh, the horrible thing and uh, and of course like, the guy he loved he loved jackie Smith. he loved jackie and jackie god bless him uh, reciprocated the two and, and it was a a thing about fellas he coached us and he was the only coach we had at fort Ord. nobody we had nobody else it was just don Coriel and that's it so he coached everything Defense, offense, the kicking game, the whole deal. And I mean, I don't know how many he did, but he did do it. And uh, he had no help, just himself. And uh, and of course, he, he allowed us to maybe help out or try to say, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. It's a lot better if you'll do it like this. And so on and so forth. But uh, wonderful human being. I cannot uh, tell you how much he was appreciated by not only the NFL and San Diego State, Whittier College, and so on and so forth, but you. Well, right. Uh, the game today is totally different from uh, when we played, and I think I'm the youngster amongst the group. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, it was total violence. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, my rookie year, I got a letter from Pete Rosell that said, Violence will not be tolerated in the NFL. It was addressed. 
from him, but uh, I did get out. I mean, got kicked out of a game my rookie year because I missed the tight end. And we could clothesline. We could hit, uh, throw forearms under the uh, chin, uh, necktie. Uh, my compadre, Timmy Corny, he took out the Philadelphia Eagles running back with a, a clothesline tackle that the game was what postponed for about 35 minutes. Coach, they thought he was dead. Yeah, he took him out. So it's totally different. Uh, no. Clothesline, like this on the, uh, right around the neck. Yeah, uh, right around the neck. Uh, well, when, when I played, the, I was the inside linebacker. Uh, the outside linebacker would push the tight end down to uh, the inside linebacker, and our job was to take his head off. That's how you got eliminated him from the pass play. Uh, the concussions and stuff that we had back in the day, we was taught the lead with our forehead, head to, head to head, wherever you could hit them. So uh, the game now, it's, I guess because we want the game to continue, it had to change. But uh, Philadelphia, again, I got, I hit Wilbur Montgomery one time, helmet to helmet, and I didn't realize where I was at until halftime when the whistle w uh, went off for halftime. But uh, it's a totally different game. We don't have the chop block. I think that should have been taken out a long time ago because that was basically done to hurt a person. It wasn't anything as far as a block. It was basically a cheap shot back then. Well, then you had the defensive linemen that head slapped offensive linemen. That's what the uh, defensive lineman from the uh, Rams, he was known for, his head slap. So the game is totally different. You have to learn how to do this. I don't know if I could play because – I wanted to run into a brick wall. I don't, you know, uh, shoulder tackles. I didn't know anything about that. You wasn't taught that way. You was taught to look your opponent in the eye and hit him in the chin. So, yeah, the game today is like Eric was saying is entirely different. I mean, uh, ours was a more one on one. It was a violent deal, especially offensive linemen when you had to keep your hands inside, and then you had guys hitting with a head slap like Roger Brown. He was 300 pounds, and he used to do a, a deal where his hand was like twice the size of mine, and he'd go like this, boom, and the ground would shake. And, then, you know, he'd come up with a, a left that you had, and if he missed that one, then they'd get away with the other. It was like a street fight going all the way back. Now, you guys remember Jimmy Hill, defensive back? Well, Jimmy's tackle was a forearm. If he did it today, they'd arrest him. But there was a game in Cleveland. I'll never forget this. And Bobby Mitchell came out and caught a little hook pattern. And Jimmy had like a 10-yard head start. And he hit him in the back of the head with a forearm. And he was out. They stopped the game for 20 minutes. And I had an opportunity. We played in Cleveland, uh, a golf tournament. They were all retired. And we were taking a cab ride back to the airport. Bobby was in the cab. And I imagine I said to him about that. He said, you know, Bobby said for one week. He was in the hospital for three days. He said, for one week, I didn't know where the hell I was. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that used to go on. And today's game, you know, like I said, we used to cash our checks at Walgreens. These guys today, you know, have uh, Brinks trucks come in. Boy, they, they stopped becoming athletes. They started becoming performers when they started making a million dollars. That's the difference to the game today. And that they protect that, you know, they won't do certain things because they don't want to 
jeopardize their career. When we played, we would have gone out, Butkus knows us, any guy you play, we would have gone out in an empty parking lot and then play the game to see who was going to kick the hell out of one another. That's the difference. They love the game, and just that's just the way it was. And I don't know how much fun they're having today. They're making a lot of money, but I know we were a lot closer as far as, you know, players go back in the day than they are now, I think. Oh, okay. I mean, Bob, Bob mentioned Roger Brown in a way that he, um, if you notice, these guys even today, and that they wear a ton of tape and that on their hands and their arms. And sometimes they even wear, they use a whole roll of tape on each one. Now, that's about as close to being a cast as you can get, you know, for a broken arm or whatever. And uh, so getting hit with those arms was not the greatest feeling in the world. In fact, Bob mentioned Roger Brown. He hit me one time, and it wasn't a head slap, it was a slap, and took my face mask and brought it right against my face. I guess I had to come out of the game. They took the face mask off. I put it back. They put a new one on. I went back out and said, and said, Roger, what the hell's going on? He says, you're not supposed to be slapping people. He said, quit bitching. That was my left hand. 